All right, I'm going to read our passage, and then we'll jump in. Mark 5, verse 21 to 43 says this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a, had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I, even, if, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the, flood, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. And immediately I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance to worship you, to focus our eyes on Jesus. And God, we pray that as we look at this passage and consider its importance to us, that um, nothing would be more important than the fact that we are here for you. We need you. We want you. God, there's nothing in this world that can step into our lives like Jesus and change the way we see it, change the way we know it, redeem it, heal it, restore it. Only you, Jesus. We're clinging to you this morning. Amen. So, it's football season, so prepare for 12 weeks of football analogies and maybe 16, depending on if I'm end of the pro season at the end of the year or not. Anyway, uh, so it is football season. Good stuff, football season. Student sections are going crazy all over, you know, the nation right now because college football is in session. School can now start, you know. Um, and so there's actually even, you know, all sorts of contests that go on with student sections. Anybody know about the Live Moss student section comp competition? Anybody know about this? Taco Bell actually puts on a competition every year where four weeks out of the season you get to vote for the craziest student section. And the fifth week, you get to also then vote for the student section that's the craziest. And your reward 
for picking the right student section is a crunchy taco. You too could be the proud owner of a free crunchy taco if you can get the famous student section correct in your vote on the Taco Bell app. No proceeds go to Taco Bell from this message. Um, okay, so yeah, student sections are crazy. Football is happening. Anybody, anybody go to football games as a kid in high school? Anybody go to high school football games? Raise your hand if you went to, okay, yeah. She's like, I went last week. Um, anybody, okay, everyone, everyone, is that 100% attendance at football, high school football games pretty much? Okay. Why? Why, why did you do this? Why did you go to high school football games? Anybody? have? Give me a reason why you went to a high school football game. Patty's got a reason. To see how crazy people are, okay? To play in the game. To play in the game. You went to, okay, very good. Yes, Abraham. Because it's fun. Okay. Any other reasons why you went to, yeah? Because you're a cheerleader, okay, participating also. Yes, any other reasons you went to the football game? Because everyone else goes, right? Right? Everybody's doing this, yes. Why did you go? I guarantee that, especially at a high school football game, like 25% of the stands is made up of people, maybe less, made up of people there to watch the game, okay? The rest of us are there for the crowd. We're there because our friends are there. We're there because our son or whatever plays. Like, we're there for no other reason, just to do something else, and the football game happens to be happening, okay? Most of us are not there for the game. And so, um, you know, obviously this relates to today because uh, we're talking about sandwiches again. Um, yeah, we're talking about sandwiches. Uh, yeah, we've come, oh, football sandwiches, whoo, ice cream football sandwiches, are you kidding me? That's today's sandwich is an ice cream football sandwich, ice cream sandwich, football, I, football ice cream sandwich, there we go, that's it, that's how you say it. Um, Mark has a lot of sandwiches, and today we're talking about a sandwich uh, that, that puts Jesus right at the center of things, in fact, all the, all, the, all the sandwiches really put Jesus at the center of things, because Mark is trying to put Jesus at the center of the whole thing here, and so, so far we've seen two sandwiches, uh, the first sandwich is what, the first sandwich was when Jesus' family came and they were looking for him. You remember that? They were looking for Jesus, and it says they thought he was going crazy. They were going to try and like stop him from speaking because he was insane, is what they thought. Um, and in the middle of that sandwich of his family coming and finding him, uh, he gives us this message that um, whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness. This was the center of the first sandwich we found. If you don't listen to what Holy Spirit is saying to you, then you will separate yourself from God. This is the first sandwich. The second sandwich was when Jesus was speaking about the parable of the sower. And he was talking about the parable of the sower. He speaks to the crowd, this parable of the four different types of soils. Um, and then on the back end of it, he explains to his disciples what that all meant. In the middle of that sandwich, the, the purpose of that was to find this, that the key to understanding the kingdom of God is given to those who follow Jesus. The disciples and those who were with them were with Jesus. And they said, what is the purpose of these parables? Like, how do, how do I understand this? And he says, to you it's been given the understanding of the kingdom of God. To the disciples and those who follow Jesus, you, your eyes are open to how powerful the kingdom of God actually is. But until you're actually there following Jesus, you have no idea what it means. 
Your eyes are clouded. You have no clue what's happening. And so today we're seeing a third sandwich, and what we're going to see here is the, the story of Jairus. You heard me as I read through the passage, a little bit long, but uh, on the bookends of this sandwich is the story of Jairus coming to Jesus and asking that his 12-year-old daughter would be healed because she's about to die. In the middle of that sandwich, we find a woman who has had a 12-year hemorrhage that has been going on for this entire time. And we're going to find something in the middle of this sandwich that's important to us. All right, so starting in verse 21, let's jump in. Uh, Jairus comes and pleads for his daughter's healing. When Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So this huge crowd, as soon as he gets back from healing the demoniac from the other side of the sea, he comes back, and there again he's greeted with a huge crowd. And we'll just see how big the crowd is in a minute. Uh, Verse 22 Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So Jairus is the ruler of the the synagogue. The ruler of the synagogue is not like a rabbi or anything. It's actually like a lay person in the synagogue who's responsible for uh, the financing, the maintenance, the scheduling of speakers. You could consider him in today's church world terms as like the executive pastor, um, but like a lay executive pastor. So um, he's there making sure that the synagogue runs smoothly, that they've got a building to meet in. Like, all of these administrative duties is the ruler of the synagogue's responsibility. And so Jairus, the one who's in charge of the synagogue and its operations, comes before Jesus and falls down at his feet. And he says to him this, verse 23, He implores him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And the beginning part of verse 24 says, And Jesus went with him. So the ruler of the synagogue comes to Jesus, crying out, because now the ruler is saying, The only hope I have is this teacher, Jesus, who's going about healing. And yeah, I know that the rabbis and the the, uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees are now out to kill this very man. But he does not care about that. He goes to Jesus seeking help from Jesus, knowing Jesus is his only hope. And he goes to him, and Jesus, in his graciousness, goes with Jairus. So Jesus and Jairus and his disciples are headed toward Jairus' house. And in the middle of that, they're still surrounded by this huge crowd. And their journey gets interrupted. That's going to be important here after we finish this story with the woman. But in verses 24 to 34, we find this middle of the sandwich. A woman comes up. It says in the second part of verse 24, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Again, get that, you know, uh, stadium picture in your head of all the people thronging around. You know, ever try to leave a football game? Anyone ever try to leave a football game that's like a lot of people there? It's a mess. In fact, my second, first, I think my first wreck was in leaving an Oklahoma State football game, a Jaguar ran into me and ran me into my friend and totaled my Jeep, and it was a bad deal. But anyway, you get it. Like, there's a throng of people trying to get to their cars and get out at the very exact same time. The roads are just not, like, we don't have capacity for what's happening. That's what's happening here with Jesus. He is walking toward Jairus' house with his disciples, and people are thronging about him. They're trying to get into this, uh, this crowd and understand what is happening. So a great crowd is thronging about him. 
Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. We're never given this woman's name. We're just, she's just known as the woman who had a discharge of blood. The implication of this uh, disease in her is that she is separated from community. For 12 years, she hasn't been able to fellowship in a clean manner. And anybody that comes and touches her would also be unclean until the end of the day, until they washed. Okay? So no one's hanging out with this woman, right? Because for 12 years, she is a symbol of uncleanness, uncleanliness. We get a little bit more detail about how much she has gone through in verse 26. It says, she had suffered much under, under many physicians. That is, physicians are trying to help her. They don't know what to do. And she's getting hurt even in the process of physicians helping her, as you can imagine. And she spent all the money she had with these physicians trying to find a cure. And the result was that it didn't get better, but got worse. So she'd been to all the doctors, she'd spent all her money, and it wasn't getting better. And so she also hears, verse 27, she heard the reports about Jesus. She came up to him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. For she had said, if even I touch his garment, I will be made well. Think about the scenario for her. She is not supposed to be around people at all. Her only hope is to wedge herself through a crowd and get to Jesus, you know, by result making everybody she's touching unclean, you know, um, and, and touch her to receive a healing. She heard the reports about Jesus. She knew what her experience was, and she came to Jesus knowing he was her only hope. And she knew if she just touched him, she would be healed. And she reaches out and touches him. And Mark 5, 29 says, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Just the touch of a garment of Jesus. And you might think, you know, this huge crowd of people, and you're just touching the tiny piece of a cloth of somebody's, uh, somebody's clothing in that group. I mean, there's all these people around. And Jesus' response in verse 30 is this. He says, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately he turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? As you can imagine, his disciples are shocked because... The crowd is like, you know, like this rave party thronging about him. And they say, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And Jesus begins looking around in the crowd, okay? Imagine him trying to whip himself around, looking and looking and looking for who it is. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus' response to her is this. Daughter, your faith 
has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The story has an uh, unexpected turn because we go back to the story of Jairus now, okay? And in the story of Jairus, verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, so he's there speaking to the woman, telling her that she has been healed by her faith in Jesus, and as he's speaking, some came up to her from the ruler's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Imagine what's happening right here in the emotions of everybody. <laughs> okay. First, the crowd that's looking around. Okay. They're like, okay, this woman's been healed. She, we know this person. She's from our community. And Jesus has now said that she is healed. And so she's going to show evidence of that or whatever. But now this daughter of the ruler of the synagogue is dead because we stopped and healed this woman. Like, if he would have made it in time, surely... She would have been healed. So you can kind of feel like the tension of that moment, right? We got stopped to take care of this woman, and now my daughter's dead, one for one. So the woman is now maybe feeling some guilt, right? And wondering, I kept the daughter from dying. And the, the father is now heartbroken because his daughter is dead, and he, the hope he thought he had in Jesus is broken, and these people are saying, well, she's dead now, so don't bother the teacher anymore. Because he's just a teacher, right? Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler, and this word for overhearing, okay, I guess you got to pause here for a second. The word for overhearing is as if, uh, uh, you know, guys, uh, yeah. You know when your wife's like, go do A, B, C, D, E, whatever it is, and you heard it, but you didn't, you know? It's like that. That's how Jesus heard it. Go take out the trash. You're like watching the football game. Someone asked me to do something. I forgot what it was because someone just scored a touchdown, and I'm excited about that. And so what was that thing I was supposed to do that was really important this person I came in my whole life to asked me to do? I'll just have another chip. <laughs> okay? That, that's the sense of the word. Jesus heard what they said, but he ignored it completely. He heard what they said. He heard them say, uh, your daughter is dead. Don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. But instead, turned to the ruler of the synagogue and said, do not fear, only believe. Jesus heard them, but he ignored them to tell the ruler what he needed to hope in. It's not what he's hearing circumstantially, but who he's believing in and trusting in. He says to the ruler, do not fear, only believe. Verse 37, he continues his journey through the crowd. He's, uh, verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So he takes the closest few with him, 
to continue this journey with the ruler of the house and his wife. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. In verse 39, he said, uh, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. This group of people that was weeping and wailing, often when someone had died or was about to die, a group of people was actually, and this is like out of my context, I don't know how to understand this exactly, they would hire people to come and wail and weep before the dead as a pronouncement that someone has died. You know, like going before the family to make sure that people know that someone has died. I guess it might be similar to like the funeral procession when you've got a car leading and like you're, you're, everyone needs to pull over and stay to the side. Like it might, maybe, maybe it's similar to that in some way. But it's an announcement, a pronouncement that this person has died. That we've, been, we've been brought to mourn this person. She's dead. Like how are you possibly here? They're laughing at him saying, uh, when, he, when he says, why are you making commotion? The, the child is not dead. They begin to laugh at him. And so in verse 40, they, he puts all of them outside and takes in the child's father and mother and Peter, James, and John and go into where the child is. Verse 41, taking her, that is the daughter, by, by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Going, she, the emotional roller coaster they've been on to, to go by faith into this crowd and face Jesus and ask him to come to your house and, and then for, to be told that your daughter is already dead and, and now your daughter is alive. To once in a minute kind of be blaming this woman for breaking their uh, task and, and keeping the teacher from coming to heal your daughter and now rejoicing over the fact that your daughter is alive. I think there's a powerful message that Mark is trying to get across to us through these stories. And it's around this question. Why are we here? Why are we here today? Like what? Like us. Why are we here today? Are we here for a crowd? We got we definitely got a crowd. It's fun. Are we here for a message? Like some new revelation, some new information to apply to my life? Trust me, I got none. Are you here for the songs? Are you here to sing and, and be around other people that are singing? Here for the food? Definitely, I'm definitely here for the food sometimes. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these kids are definitely here for the food. Yeah. I'm here for Jesus. I am here for Jesus. 
I need him. I need Jesus. My life is a, a wreck without him. It makes no sense. And the amazing thing about this story, as you listen to what's happening and see what's going on, this crowd thronging around Jesus, trying to get a glimpse of the, the commotion and what's happening and his power and see the next you know, important, powerful thing happen from him. And nobody in the crowd is there for him. They're there for the crowd. You can be right next to Jesus, bumping him, touching him, pressing in around him, and receive nothing. Can you imagine that crowd? They're there because there's this great thing happening, but why are they there? They're not taking power out of Jesus' body. They're taking nothing from him. But this woman comes through the crowd, fighting because the only, the, the only person that can help her is in the middle of the crowd. She fights through the crowd, just barely touches his garment, and Jesus knows that someone had faith in him. And she was healed. She's the one that received this outcast, unclean, 12 years separated from community woman comes before Jesus and just gets a glimpse of his garment. And Jesus says, you're here for me. And she's healed. It's so easy to go and be a part of the exciting thing that's happening. It's so easy to go and be part of the ritual that is happening. If our hope is in some sort of religious observance or some sort of song or some sort of new word that we're going to receive, then we've misplaced our hope because our only hope is in Jesus. He's the only one that can be our healer. This woman had the key to that truth. And the ruler of the synagogue needed to learn it. That's the beauty of this sandwich, actually. It's at the center of it. The one who knew where the power was and had faith in it was this outcast. And she comes and teaches the whole crowd and the whole family of the ruler of the synagogue a lesson. And the lesson is, who are you here for? Are you here for Christ? Or are you here for something else? The contrast couldn't be more stark between these two individuals. I mean, the ruler of the synagogue is respected by the whole community as one who is a steward of the synagogue. He, he isn't given some religious title of any kind. He's just serving the synagogue so that worship could continue. So he's respected by everybody. In fact, in his approach to Jesus is totally different than the woman. She, he comes up to him, if you, if you remember the beginning of this, he comes up to him and speaks to Jesus face to face. The ruler of the synagogue, seeing him, fell at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her that she may be well. He comes straight up to him in the midst of this crowd. 
and gets to have presence with him in the middle of the crowd. The woman sneaks in, bites through, and grabs. And when he's told that his daughter has died, Jesus says, don't listen to what they've said. Do not fear, only believe. Continue in the faith that you had when you came to me, right? He went to Jesus just like anybody else. He lowered himself to come down and speak face to face with this teacher instead of just staying aside. He said, my only hope is in that teacher that everybody uh, is up against. I'm going to go hold a conversation with him and have him come to my house and heal my daughter. And when the message comes back that the daughter has passed, Jesus says, you had faith just like just before you came to me. Was it less impossible then than it is now? It's just as, imp- just as possible now as it was then. I think I mixed all that up, but you know what I mean. He says, do not fear Only believe, I can still heal your daughter. Time is like not an issue to me. I created it, so believe. I need Jesus, and I hope that the reason that you gather, the reason that you come together on a Wednesday or Thursday night and study the word together. The reason that you get down on your knees uh, during the week is, you know, not out of some sort of uh, religious observance, right? I hope that when you go and pray and when you go and read the Bible and when you uh, come to church and when you go to community group that you aren't doing that out of a sense of, I need to check off this religious observance uh, box in my life and make sure I've accomplished that section of my life and checked off that thing. I hope that, that your hope is not in pleasing other people, right? I mean, think about the football example. I mean, you're going there to see your friends, right? You're going there to cheer on your buddy. Are you there for the game? It can be very easy to get swept up in an exciting movement and something that is going on and lose sight of what's at the center of this whole thing, and that's Jesus. So my prayer for us this week is that we would not lose where our hope is. Our hope is not in anything else but Jesus. It's as simple as that. I mean, we're all going through stuff this week. I know that you're all going through stuff. Every, like half our church has been sick the past week and a half, in some way. And on top of that, life didn't stop. You know, like people are still asking you to do things even though you were sick for a week, right? Is your hope in your strength? Or is your hope still in Jesus? Jesus. 